I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great resurrection chapter of the New Testament. And what I want to do is begin reading in verse 12, going down through verse 20, and then I want to unpack the significance of this passage of Scripture as it teaches the resurrection and as it relates to our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Paul says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. My first encounter with the death of a close loved one took place in 1977. I had a grandfather who was an enormous blessing in my life, a man that I loved and respected, a very simple man. on a Saturday in the spring, he took me to work. It was the season of cultivating the ground and uh, getting the garden ready. He loved what he called the truck patch, okay? That was his definition for the garden. And uh, that day as he was working in the garden, suffered a severe heart attack, fell face down in the dirt, and was gone. Now, he dropped me off at work that morning. I came home that afternoon about 5 o'clock. Dad was walking down the yard towards me, and I thought, I don't ever remember my dad being like the father of the prodigal, you know, coming and finding me on my way in from the... I never had that happen. Kind of sensed that something was wrong, and he shared with me that my grandfather had passed away. I learned a hard lesson over the next few weeks, and that was this, that the grandfather who had come to visit me on a regular basis on Saturdays, He wasn't coming anymore. Uh, The death that he died, from all that I knew at that moment, was irreversible from a human perspective. There was nothing I could do to bring him back. Death is irreversible. I mean, that's common belief, right? Most individuals don't have a problem with Jesus in regards to to Christmas, the birth of Christ, because births happen all the time. Most people don't struggle with the fact that Jesus Christ died, because that happens all the time. What's the biblical truth that people struggle with? They struggle with not with, not with Christmas, not with Good Friday. They struggle with Easter. The very powerful and radical and seemingly irreversible thought that death was defeated. That in Christ, 
we can have victory over our sin and over death. 1 Corinthians 15 is an entire chapter devoted to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the hope of every Christian. The text that I read to you this morning indicates that in the city of Corinth, there had arisen within the context of the church some doubt as to the validity of the resurrection of Christ. And so in verse 12, Paul says, If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you, some of you say that there is no resurrection? And the logic that Paul's going to present is very simple. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus Christ himself is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, that has significant consequences for the church of Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul do? Paul writes forcefully to argue for the impact, for the significance of the physical resurrection of the body in the first picture in the person of Christ. So I want us to work through this text this morning from this perspective. If there is no resurrection of Christ from the dead, what are the significant negative consequences that emerge out of that? And then I want to flip it around and look at four positive consequences, significances of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So follow along with me as we look at what Paul says here. Very bold claims. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is the faith that preaching leads to. Okay, when we get up to proclaim the Word of God, there is an aim in it. There is an aim that our hearts would be moved towards faith in Christ. And what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our preaching, the pouring out of Paul's life, is mere sentimentalism. It is proclamations of truth that make people feel good, but aren't even true. Okay, Paul says that is an enormous negative consequence of denying the resurrection, which is central to the gospel. Secondly, verse 15, Paul makes an astonishing claim. He says, more than that, we then are found to be false witnesses about God. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then we as apostles and preachers of the gospel are in fact liars. And, and, and the, the apostles and the 500 who earlier in chapter 15 attest to the fact that they witnessed the resurrection of Christ, they are all co-conspirators who created a story that is in fact fiction about the resurrection of Christ. And worse than that, it makes them to be people who are misrepresenting God himself and a lack of the resurrection makes Jesus Christ himself a liar. Okay, that's what Paul is saying here. Why? Because every time Jesus Christ spoke of his death, he always coupled it or tied it to the glorious truth of the resurrection. So he would say to the disciples something like this, we're going up to Jerusalem. There the Son of Man will be handed over. They will crucify Him, put Him to death. But on the third day, He will what? Rise again. So if in fact Christ is not raised from the dead, what does that make Jesus? It makes Him a liar. It makes all the apostles liars. It makes all the alleged witnesses frauds. They created a story that wasn't true. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, the faith that you placed in Him is empty because you are still in your sin. Okay, meaning this, there is no forgiveness. Verse 18, 
then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Some translations say they have perished. They are eternally separated from God. Another enormous consequence. We have no hope in death because death is in fact, in this case, irreversible and death wins. And then verse 19, Paul says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are above all people most to be pitied. If Christ is not risen from the dead, the apostles and Christians are a sorry lot of people. Why? Because the call of Christ to live the Christian life is a call to sacrifice. It is a call to a life of struggle, of self-denial. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, here's what Paul says later in chapter 15, verse 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink and be merry. Why, Paul? Because tomorrow we die, and if there's no resurrection, that death is the end. So you see where Paul moves with this argument. If there's no resurrection, there should be no impact on our daily life. This proclamation is false. It's vain. It's empty. It's like a Hallmark card that says the right things, even if those things are untrue. Okay? Paul comes to some astonishing conclusions if, in fact, Christ is not raised. Verse 20 is a refreshing wind that blows through this text. Notice what it says. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised. And here it's in the perfect tense. Christ has been raised with a permanent result and consequence from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the idea of first fruits here is this. The resurrection of Jesus is the first of the harvest that promises the fullness of the harvest. His resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all who believe. Okay? So if you have ever had any experience in gardening or farming, here's what you know. And I have a tendency to do this. We, we have a little garden behind our house. I'm, I'm dying to get the first piece of produce out of that garden. And my tendency is to pick it prematurely and say to my wife, Look, okay? It started, right? That first fruit, that first tomato is evidence that there's going to be a whole lot of them. All right, that's especially true with zucchini, right? You get so much of that coming, okay? But the first one says, okay, now it's about to begin. And in your heart, what do you feel? You've put in labor and effort and work. And when that harvest begins, it is the joyful outcome. And Paul looks at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does he say? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first fruits. It is the first picture that there is hope for fallen sinners, that death is not final. That's the glory of the resurrection. It's why when the, when the women went to the tomb and Jesus said, why, or the, the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. So what are the consequences? What is significant about the resurrection? What does it mean to your life today? Because this is an historical event 2,000 years old, does it make a difference in your life today? That's the question I want to answer. We understand that if it didn't happen, it is a tragedy for the church. All the effort that we put into preaching is a waste of time. We might as well disband and go enjoy ourselves. Live to the fullest. Get everything you can get out of life. Because when you die, it's done. It's over. There is no hope after death. Paul, with a resounding 
statement in verse 20. It says, but Christ has indeed been risen with an abiding consequence that he lives forever. Now, if that is true, here's, I believe, what you can argue from Paul's statements in these verses. Kind of take the negative and then restate it as a positive. Okay, and the first one I want to deal with is verse 17. If Christ has been raised, you by faith in him are not still in your sin. That is the glorious proclamation of what the cross accomplishes and what is validated through the resurrection of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because the resurrection of Christ and his death for our sins throughout the New Testament are a package deal. They're tied together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, here's the way Paul says it. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried according to the Scripture, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. Now here, here's what you can say. If all of those things aren't true, then none of them are true. Okay, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then his death is not an adequate payment for our sin because he did not, in fact, defeat the consequence of sin. Which Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. In the book of Romans, listen to how Paul takes the resurrection of Christ and ties it to the issue of our possibility of forgiveness. Here's what he says. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. Okay, so the, the clear statement of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ on the cross stood in your place and bore the consequence, the wrath of God against your sin. That's what Paul says. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Okay, he was raised to life to make certain our justification that he, standing at the Father's right hand, certainly intervenes for us and gives us freedom from sin. How did it look on Good Friday 2,000 years ago? How did it look? Here's how it looked. It looked like death had won. But on Sunday, death was defeated. One writer said it this way. He said, the resurrection is the Father's amen to the Son's, it is finished. Okay, the Father's, or the resurrection is the Father's amen to the Son's, it is finished. On the cross, what did Jesus say? The price of sin is paid in full for all who will believe. There is hope for forgiveness from sin because Christ raised from the dead. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead so that you could be declared righteous through the shed blood of Christ when poured over your life cleanses you from all sin. In the resurrection, what does Jesus do? He defeats the consequences of our sin. Folks, please understand this. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death but that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What did Jesus do? He entered into the consequence of your sin and died. He bore the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And on the third day, the Father raised Him to life again for our justification. So what happens when we 
sin. When we fall short of all that God expects of us, here's the way Paul says it in Romans 8. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life. So notice how Paul speaks. Christ who died and was raised to life is as a result of that resurrection at the Father's right hand doing what? Ever living, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. What happens in your life? You fail. You feel a burden of self-condemnation, guilt, shame. You want to hide. Where do you go with that? Well, religion says this, you try harder. You do a little bit more and then maybe that guilt will go away. You know what the Bible says? It says, stop trying. Place faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you through the work of the cross and what he has validated or ratified by his resurrection. That there is hope for the forgiveness of sin. If you've never trusted Christ, I would beg of you, I would encourage you to consider what Christ has done for you. That he bore the price of your sin. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, I want to encourage you in this way, because what the evil one loves to do, what Satan loves to do, is place upon us a burden of condemnation. He likes to trap us in our failures and to burden us and shackle us with a, with a, with a kind of heart that says, why should I try? I'm just, I'm just a sinner. We, we get that sense. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ stands at the Father's right hand as a resurrected Lord. And what is he doing? He is ever living as a risen Savior to make intercession for us. So that when Satan hurls his accusations and his condemnation, what does Jesus Christ say to the Father? He says, I, through my death, have paid the price for their sin. And you, through the resurrection, have ratified my work on the cross. So that through Christ, what is there? There is the hope, the confidence, the assurance of forgiveness of all of our sins. A hymn that I used to sing as a young person says this, Five bleeding wounds he bears, hands, feet, and side. Received on Calvary, they pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to kill your faith. He wants to wrap you in a cloak of condemnation and sink you in the deepest sea. That's what he wants to do. Jesus Christ was raised for your forgiveness. And that resurrection ratifies the work that he did on the cross when he said, it is done. The sin that condemns, that holds humanity in a stranglehold, that destroys, has been defeated the resurrection means this morning your sin can be forgiven and i don't care where you're coming from this morning doesn't matter how dark your past is how secret your sin is how deep it is how addictive it is there is hope because on the third day jesus christ shattered the bondage of sin and the wages of it and he rose from the dead second truth briefly is this verse 14 our preaching is useful and our faith has purpose. 
And so what Paul says, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then all this talk about him is empty talk. It's to no avail. It can't really change you. It's a false hope. It's sentimentalism. Folks, there are some people that today will stand in the pulpit and say, the resurrection is basically a story about deliverance. It, it doesn't matter if it's true. It's just a beautiful story. Folks, if it's just a story, it's empty, it's vain, it doesn't change anything. And Paul's argument is, now Christ is risen, therefore our preaching of Christ and your response to Christ in faith is powerful and life-changing. It's not empty. It's not vain. The story of Christ is true and trustworthy. He is a Savior who in a world of hurt, in a world of failure, in a world of rejection, in a world of pain, in a world of people that fail, he never fails. Folks, think about this. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. Luke 24 tells us the attitude and heart of the disciples prior to the resurrection of Christ. What do they say? They say, it's the third day, we hope that he would rise, but that's how things go. You know what they expected from Christ? the same disappointments that they had experienced their entire life. That's what they experienced. But the resurrection of Christ does what to them? It utterly transforms their faith. It is not empty. It is not vain. It is powerful. And it is life-changing. And what it means is that there is for us a Savior, a Lord, a King, a risen Master who always keeps His word. Now, if I said to you, would you like to have a relationship with someone who will never let you down? Who will never be unfaithful? Who will never hurt? Who will never disappoint? You know what? The, look, that's, that's what we want. Someone we can trust. The resurrection of Christ says what? He is trustworthy. You can commit your life to Him. And the Bible says this. It says, all those whose faith is in Him will never be disappointed. And that's a glorious truth that arises out of the resurrection. The resurrection also means this. It means that death is reversible. In a world that believes that death is irreversible, when I experienced that as a young person at 16, I realized I'm not going to see him again. I'm not going to enjoy his company. I'm not going to enjoy him driving me to work. He's not going to let me drive his Ford Falcon station wagon, three speed on the column anymore. Okay? Amazing car. I love that. You know what death meant? That's gone. It's not coming back. And that's, that's what we think, right? Well, since Christ has risen, it means that those who fall, have fallen asleep in Christ are in fact not lost. But that to be absent from the body, Paul would say, is to be present with the Lord. That we don't have to be in dismay at death. There is hope in it. First Thessalonians 4, what does Paul say? He says, we sorrow. We're not, we're, Christians aren't saying, hey, you know what? death is no problem, it don't bother me. No, he's saying, we sorrow. But we don't sorrow in death like those who have no hope. Why? For we believe, Paul says in verse 13, that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And one day when he comes, what's he going to do? He's going to bring all those who have died in Christ with him. He's going to raise their body, reunite them, and there will be 
as the Negro spiritual says, a great getting up morning. That's what the resurrection guarantees. That the thing that you fear most, that you dread, and you may not think about it all the time, but every time it comes near, you fight against it, you fight to live. Why? Because you think death irreversible. And so do I. The resurrection of Christ says, I don't want to die, okay? But I don't have to fear it. I don't want to lose loved ones. But I know I will. I live with aging parents. My wife lives with aging parents. I know that it, it'll start to happen. I know that. But if you know Christ, it will bring tears to your eyes. It'll break your heart. But it will not destroy you. Because we believe that Christ died and rose again. And one day we'll bring with him everyone who has gone on before us in Christ. In Revelation 1 and verse 18, Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. Folks, that is glorious. And that is encouraging truth. That your greatest fear can be conquered by the power of Jesus Christ. And the simple truth, I think, is this. I think at every funeral, everyone wants the resurrection to be true. You don't want it to be permanent. But for a lot of people, it's just mere sentimentalism. It gets them through the experience. Folks, the resurrection of Christ and the promise of our resurrection in Him is not mere sentimentalism. Paul said, if it is, this is a farce. We're liars. The hope you have is no better than when the promises of a Hallmark card, it's no different. It's just fabricated to make you feel good. Folks, that is cruel if it's not true. My grandfather was a believer in Jesus Christ. And that gives me a hope that today to me is more precious. As a result of studying this text, one day I'll see him. One day we will be together Worshiping Jesus Christ. Because the center of the story is not my grandfather. It's not those, those that go on before you. It's not the loss of that's not the, the center of the story is that we serve a Savior who conquered death itself and satisfies that very deep desire and longing in our hearts. And His resurrection says that the death that you fear is not irreversible. And the last thought I want to touch on from verse 19 is this. Paul says it this way. He says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be most pitied. But if Christ is risen, what of those that give all for the cause? How do you view them? How do you see people who give everything for the cause of Christ? I think Paul's saying something like this. Selfless Christians, sacrificial Christians live an enviable life. You know why? Because when you have your hope in heaven, when you have your hope in the resurrection of Christ and the future life that he promises to you, it cuts the chains of things that bind. It severs worry. It severs fear that I got, I got to get more out of this life. 
I may end this life without joy and satisfaction in a temporal sense. I may not have enough. I may not this, that, and the other thing. What does it do? Those concerns eat up the joy of the life. What's true for a Christian who lives selflessly and sacrificially? You know what's true for them? They're delivered from the bondage of the temporal realm. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, Paul says this, Our momentary and light troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Why? Because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on, his, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. It, when you live for the future, when you live for the reward of Christ's coming and the glory of His presence, and you know that there I will be satisfied and forgiven and full of joy, when you know that, it, it defeats the pessimism and the dark cloud that many people live under. We live in a world that is full of fear. The situation in Cyprus, the situation in Greece, everybody wonders about how their retirement's going to be. Can I get a decent job? Will I have it? What? There's fear. Why? Because the economic situation of the world that we live in has been shaken. And in that shaking, the hope of many people. Not so for a Christian. Remember the story of Stephen who paid the ultimate price for his faith in Christ in Acts chapter 7. As he was being stoned to death because of the testimony of Christ. You know what the Bible says? It says he looked up into heaven. He gazed there. And what does he say? He says, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Who is he? He's a risen Savior who ever lives to intercede for us. What is Stephen saying? I, in this moment of tragic death, unjust death, I have hope and I have joy. And out of his lips, what's the statement that comes? Father, forgive them. And what does he do? He falls asleep. Because the resurrection of Christ transforms death into sleeping. And when people fall asleep, what's the, what's the normal thing that you expect to happen? A little bit later, they're going to wake up. The word cemetery is an interesting word. It means a sleeping place. Interesting, huh? For those that are in Christ, what is the grave? It is a sleeping place. That one day, Jesus Christ with a shout from heaven will wake up on that great getting up morning. All those who have placed their faith and hope and trust in Him. We have a hope that should completely transform our relationship to the temporal world. It should completely transform our relationship to the satisfying pleasures or, 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 or attempts to satisfy through pleasure in this world. We have a hope that frees us from that. Because Christ is risen. And since Christ is ridden, risen, sacrifice for His cause is completely and perfectly logical. John Piper says it this way. He says, in light of this, Verse 18, or verse 19. 
If we have hope in Christ, all our sacrifice is worthwhile. And you know what it means? It means we should not waste the life that God has given to us. We should come to the end of our lives saying, Lord, I am glad to move from this place to be where you are because my life has not been wasted. And the resurrection of Christ will give you the freedom to release your life freely into his very capable and precious hands. Paul ends this chapter on the resurrection by saying this. He says, therefore, in light of the resurrection and all the arguments he's given about it, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your sacrifice for him is not in vain. It's not empty. The preaching of the cross isn't empty. The hope of those that have passed on before us in Christ is not empty. And I would say to you this morning, ask you this morning, do you have that hope? Do you know Christ as the one who paid the price for your sin, who on the third day rose from the grave to verify and to ratify the fact that his work on the cross was the payment for your sin and that if you come to him simply acknowledging, God, I am a sinner. I repent of my sin. I confess that to you. I put my faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the only payment for my sin. And what he will give you, the Bible says, is the gift of eternal life. And that gift comes to you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. He is risen, the Bible says, to deny at least the very serious negative consequences to embrace it by faith, even though you may say, Pastor Tim, I struggle with understanding that. Good, join the rest of the crowd. Okay? We all struggle with understanding the resurrection, but it doesn't mean it isn't true. All right? Understanding the resurrection is not achieved through rationale. It's a miracle. It's understood by faith. And it is embraced by the eye of faith. And when you respond to God in faith, here's what the Bible says. He will respond to you with grace. You see, our hope today is in a person. It's not in religion or reformation. It's not in trying harder. It's in trusting Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you've never come to know him personally, I would, I would encourage you, consider Christ. Consider what it is to know Him in a life-changing, life-altering, saving way that will affect your relationship with the temporal realm and will transform your view of death and eternity. Because the Bible says one day He's coming again and He's going to receive unto Himself all those who have placed faith in Him. And I would beg of you this morning, join that crowd of believers who know and love and trust and exalt Jesus Christ. Cry out to him this morning. And if you do that this morning, here's what I've encouraged you to do. After the service, come up to the front. I'm going to wait up here. Just come up and say, Pastor Tim, I have questions, number one. I struggle with believing. Or three, today, God has given me the gift of faith. I've repented and have trusted in what Jesus Christ has done for me. He will change your life forever. Because we serve a wonderful, glorious, and risen Savior. Jesus Christ. Let's stand together as we close in prayer.